0: Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm speaking with Wendy Batchelder, Senior VP of Global Data Governance and Chief Data Officer of Trust at Salesforce. In this episode, Wendy shares the pivotal experiences and risks she took along her career journey to be in the position to lead today. We also dive into how organizations can use data to make the right decisions at the right time, and she shares her advice for women to move into leadership positions. Wendy is a thoughtful, strategic, and compassionate leader, and I know you'll be inspired by her journey and insights on data. Enjoy. Welcome to Data Bites, Wendy. It's so nice to be chatting with you. Yes, likewise. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. well, I'd love to just dive right in and get a little bit of your background and your story um, so that our audience can kind of level set a little bit with who you are. What are some of the key life experiences that have shaped your thinking and who you are today? Yeah, that would be great. So I,
1: I was always thought I was going to be an accountant. So I actually went to college with an accounting major in hand and thought, like, I'm, I'm going to be an auditor. I, that's, what I, that's what I'm here to do. And my uh, my father, who was a database administrator um, throughout his career, really encouraged me to take an, a database class. And I did not want to do that. Um, and I fought him pretty hard on it. It's like, Dad, you know, only boys are in the technology classes. Like, I want nothing to do with that. Like, it's it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be the only woman in there. Like, I just I don't want to do it. And he just really encouraged me, you know, you have the right mindset for it. I think you'll find there's a lot of commonality between the way that you feel about like balancing a spreadsheet and the way that you'll feel when you get, um, you know, a, a complex query to run or um, a program to compile and, and run effectively. Just take one class. And if you don't like it, then you'll know. But just I really think that, you know, there's a lot of power in technology and it's going to be kind of like a, a big thing. And so you need to really lean in there. Um, and so I, I, I begrudgingly agreed to do that and uh, took the class and then had to call him and tell him that I, he was right <laughs> and that I liked it. Um, and so I ended up being uh, accounting and MIS focused, but did like start out my career in audit. I just happened to pursue IT audit. So spent the first half of my career really chasing data through systems, evaluating controls, finding a whole lot of deficiencies, um, primarily around financial reporting, um, doing a lot of Sarbanes-Oxley work and um, third-party attestation reporting. And then um, found myself one day receiving a phone call from a mentor of mine, basically asking me like, hey, are you done writing us up yet? Do you want to maybe come over here and maybe fix some of these problems? And I just really didn't feel qualified to be um, in data management because I felt like I didn't really know how to fix it. But I had, you know, a high degree of curiosity. I love learning new things. And so um, I agreed to take on a pretty significant leadership role, um, leading data management and some regulatory compliance around that. And uh, kind of the rest is history. I've just had these amazing opportunities doing more complicated and complex um work building out data capabilities at a number of companies um and each one has been uh different and just complicated and always you know always different and i've really enjoyed it so um you know it wasn't intentional to be in data it was sort of a beautiful accident but i i've really enjoyed it
0: yeah and what i hear in your story is an a, a willingness to like almost take a risk and raise your hand and say yes. Right. Like even with taking the Mm -hmm. class, you're like, okay, I don't really want to do this, but like my dad keeps asking me to, and it sounds like a good opportunity. So I'll take that risk and I'll just try it. Right. And then with the next position was like, Oh, someone approached me and said, Hey, you should do this. And it seems Mm -hmm. a little bit of a stretch, but you were willing to like take that risk and take it on. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for people who may be facing similar situations of like a manager coming to them and saying, Hey, we want you for this bigger project, or, you know, they're curious maybe about a machine learning class, but don't know if they should really commit to it and take it. Like, how did you pull through in those times to, to, in a way, take those risks and what seems like it's really paid off for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, It definitely has. So I think there's really two reasons why I had been comfortable doing that. One is I knew that I could learn new things. I knew I could manage through difficult situations. Um, My father actually passed away not long after that occurred, and I had to learn to persevere, right? I had to learn to work through challenge and be able to still be successful, even when I didn't feel very much like being successful. And so I think that happening at that point in my life, I was like 19 when he passed, that really shaped my ability to learn how to you know, just overcome um, hardship. And then secondly, the other common theme in all of these scenarios and, and many others we could talk about is in all cases, I had someone who believed in me. So I, you know, my dad believed I could do it in my college class. Uh, my mentor believed that I had the capabilities to deliver on a data management transformation in my first data role. Um, and that has always been something that I've tried to Um, just really lean into. And even when I didn't feel confident to know that someone else felt confident in me meant that even when there were hard days or sometimes extremely difficult days where things just maybe weren't going very well, that I could always come back to the fact that there was someone in my corner who believed that I could do it. And I think that is so important for women in this space to believe that someone believes in them. And I think as women leaders in this space, it's our duty to help that next generation of talent by encouraging them. Um, And I think, you know, if we asked all the women in the data space who believed in them, they would have a name for you. And I think that's, that's our, our responsibility and our great pleasure to be able to do that for the next generation of women as well.
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. I mean, there have been so many times, you know, through my master's program of crying on the stairs. of like, I'm not going to make it through this class. And my fiance picking me up and saying, no, you can't. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. I mean, even with just women in data starting, no one came to the first event. And I called someone and said, I don't know what I'm doing here. And they said, just wait 15 more minutes. And if I didn't have that person to encourage and believe in me, I wouldn't have waited 15 minutes and women in data may have never even been born. So I couldn't agree more. Like we all need those people in our lives and they don't even have to be people in the same industry. It could be a friend, a family member, just someone to believe in us. And I think that's like a great call to action for our audience too, of not only is make sure you have those people in your life, but you can be that person for somebody else too. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So today you are the Senior Vice President of Global Data Governance and the Chief Data Officer of Trust at Salesforce. (laughs) Very busy, it sounds like. Um, But one of the things you really talk about a lot is having the right data at the right time. And I love this because it's just so simple and clean. And Mm -hmm. I would love to know, like, what does this look like? What's a scenario of the right data at the right time look like in an organization? Oh my gosh. I just, I think this is,
1: it's such a simple idea, but to execute it is I think much harder as with most data topics and most data solutions. But in my opinion, if you, there's plenty of data, right? It's not like there's a shortage of data out there in any company, whether it's a startup with like one person or in an enormous company with, you know, just huge data stores. The shortage of data is not, is not the issue. The issue is finding the data that you need when you need it. And I think in in any level of scale, being able to identify what data you need and be able to do that in a matter of timeliness is actually quite hard. And so, in my opinion, you know, a scenario might be um, I'm trying to understand what my customers most likely like next best offer would be. Like, what could I potentially offer to them to help them be successful. Like you need to know what they already have. You need to know what other customers like them um, are buying. And you need to be able to have that in the moments that matter. So being able to see that, you know, two weeks after you have your customer meeting isn't very useful. So the timeliness is really, really matters. And then the last part about like the right controls, I think this is really important in any company, but certainly in Companies with customer information, with sensitive data, Um, you know, customers want to know that their data is being handled properly and that only the right people can access it. And so just making sure that you have the right access controls that's backed up, like all of those natural, like IT general controls are in place. um, You know, I really think about that. So, you know, a scenario could be very broad, but like, can we answer business questions with the right information when we need it? That to me is the beauty of putting data to work for you. Um, I often think about that as data-informed decisions because ultimately we as humans, (laughs) like people, um, have to be the ones making the decisions. But by using data to empower that and, and being able to make that informed decision backed by data is just an additional level of comfort that I think we can all appreciate and enjoy.
0: Yeah. So what do you see then as some of the common barriers for organizations being able to achieve this? Because I think we could all agree, like, yes, to have data at our fingertips in a timely manner and to have those right controls in place so that we can make those properly informed decisions are what we want. But sometimes getting what we want, as you mentioned, execution is the hardest part of this, right? So what yes. do you see as some of the common barriers that we're going to face when making these data-driven decisions in a timely manner? Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I think there's the hardest job of any data professional is taking the complication of a, of a company's ecosystem and being able to sort through all of that to be able to get to that easy answer, and so I think the common barrier is, for us, is being able to translate how to get to the, from the complexity to the answer with ease. Um, because ultimately, like, I want my stakeholders to be able to go and get things like almost push of a button. You know, How do I get to that answer for the question that I have um, as quickly as possible and really timely? They don't necessarily need to know like all of the heartache and hurt and maybe the tears that have been shed. To make it so, but I think being able to really understand the environment, identify what data is there, and be able to present it up, which really like the metadata problem is what I'm you know articulating. I think that is a big barrier. A lot of companies just don't know what their where their data is, um, or they know where some data is, but maybe not the best source. And so, what I've seen in my experience at a number of different companies is really an underinvestment in metadata. And I think as our ecosystems become more complicated and that um, we see more and more data being pushed out to the edge, that complexity and the importance of really cataloging, understanding how data moves, where it is at rest, the classification of that data, it's going to become more and more important as we move forward Um, because it is. We have more data today than we did yesterday and that trend is not going to change.
0: Yeah, so when you're describing this, I don't know why, but I'm getting an image of like a library before there was like the Dewey Dessel system (laughs) and the card sorting to be able to find things, right? Because essentially that's what our organizations are with all this data. We Mm -hmm. have all this information, right? But if we didn't have the classification system that we do within the library to be able to find the right books, it would be really difficult to find the information we need at the right time. So I think Mm -hmm. you're example of the metadata is perfect because it's really a, solves those problem of the timeliness and control, which, which you discussed previously. I
1: also think that um, it's, it's underappreciated. And I think that's something that as an industry, we have to really be thinking about because we all want the insights, right? We want the insights. We want to be able to make that decision. But the data management side is, I think, often underappreciated. It's harder to translate that into value but it's not impossible. And so I I do think translating the importance of just the rigor, it's like exercise, right? Like we all want to maybe be able to run that marathon or feel good in our bodies, but we don't necessarily want to put in the training. And like, we need to be putting in the training. We need to do reps in the gym. We got to eat some broccoli. Um, It's not going to be fun, but that's so important to be able to get to the end result that we want. And And so that's a lot of the reason why I've been drawn to data management over the years, because I just think it's it's so important and underappreciated, but so necessary.
0: Yes, you're giving me a great example with the putting in the work. I I signed up for a Spartan race because I wanted to take a vacation to the beach, but now I'm in in the like have to eat my broccoli and do all the work. So (laughs) it's a good life.
1: Yeah. It's like signing up for that workout program. You're on the couch. You're like, oh man, I got to get outside and run. So it is, it is hard, but, um, very relatable.
0: Yes. So talking about communicating the value, you know, Mm -hmm. as data practitioners, a lot of times we're enabling the business to make those data driven decisions. Mm -hmm. And the essence of a data driven decision is that there's KPIs and measurements and metrics involved, but, a lot of times we see a lot of organizations also not measuring if they're being effective in enabling those data-driven decisions. So do you have a process or a methodology for how you as an organization measure to say, hey, by doing this work, we are creating value and we have enabled you know, this part of the business to make X number more data-driven decisions. Like how do you really measure that value and then communicate it with your stakeholders?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest problem I have seen in this space is data teams trying to measure their value by themselves. And so the, the recommendation that I would have is like really sit down with your business stakeholder and agree on those decisions. Like what is success really? Is it unlocking or curating new trusted data sets? Is it enabling, um, you know, a certain number of new sales opportunities, is it identifying where customers are maybe having problems before they realize it like what are the what are the metrics that the business needs from data and really helping to agree on that in advance it's very easy at the end to go like oh you know what we unlocked a bunch of pipeline for our sales team and so we're going to take credit for that whole amount like nobody's going to believe that, you know, even if that were true, they're going to say, oh, you didn't sell, you didn't personally close any of those deals. So you didn't do it. So I just think that getting that alignment up front is really important. It also brings your stakeholder into the fold and helps them understand all this, like the actual impact of the data work. And so by agreeing that up front and then seeing that come to fruition and transparently reporting that, it just creates so much more alignment and opens the communication path with your stakeholder to really talk about how data enabled their success. And what I've found is when you have that alignment up front, you're able to deliver against that in a transparent way. Do you know who's bragging about the results? It's your stakeholder. They're telling other groups about how what your team did really contributed to their success. And by that you're just creating a whole bunch of new interest for the services that you can provide within your organization. So I just think bringing them into the fold and having them, you know, really be a vested part of your success up front is a much more collaborative and transparent way to measure, you know, what good looks like.
0: Yeah. And it's also great just scientific methodology practices right so if you're a scientist and you have a hypothesis and create a test you have to define your success metrics before otherwise you know it's not going to be true because we know we can reshape the data in a way that will highlight the best parts and be what we want it to be so it's just you know kind of eating our own dog food or drinking our own champagne and our own practices there which i love it's great
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: so there's been a lot of advancements with data-driven decision-making from the tools available, I mean, Tableau being one of those and enabling dashboards. And, and now we have even Einstein Analytics that does a lot of this work for you. Um, this has all been great in enabling these data-driven decision-making but where do you really see it going in the next five to 10 years? Like, how do you see advancements with technology either changing the way we make decisions or enhancing and enabling it?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. So if if I were going to look into my crystal ball, I think what we would see is that we are our expectations as data consumers and also as customers, we expect those insights to be right at the fingertip all the time. So what I see is that expectation really getting higher, which means our ability to create insights in the moments that matter, like there is no patience for that not being right there all the time and with high quality. So I think the bar is going to continue to rise, which means that we have to be able to do things that are really complicated with a lot of speed and precision and accuracy. And so I think that I do think that the data management side of the house is going to get a lot more pressure. I also think the job is getting a lot harder because the technologies are emerging at a much higher rate. And I also think the needs for um, our data science profession and our analytics profession will also continue to increase. Um, I think that more people will see analytics be a part of just standard jobs So the ability to work and be comfortable with data um, at really all levels of an organization, I think will become, um, you know, the norm. And so, you know, data literacy, I think is going to continue to be a theme that we uh, continue to see people buckle down in. But I think it will just become just standard literacy, like just normal business expectations, not seen as something that like the data people do, but just something that's more common, you know, that everyone needs to be at least somewhat familiar with how to interpret and use data, that they have some cursory knowledge on how to bring data together and derive some sort of insight from it. Even if that is just, you know, being more fluent with Excel or, you know, being able to create a very rudimentary like Tableau dashboard. um, I just think it's going to become more commonplace because data will continue to be so, so important for us.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I see it very much like there was a time when email and using like PowerPoint and Microsoft Office was like something like you added as a skill to your resume, right? And now it's just kind of like, hey, if you're working in an office business setting, that's that's kind of standard. You should come in with these skills. And I see just... Being able to be comfortable with numbers and read charts and dashboards, just as you mentioned, is, is just going to be a, a standard job practice across the board for everyone. Yep, I think so. So shifting gears a little bit, I'd love to talk about leadership and just really now that you're in such an impactful leadership position? If you look back, we've looked forward, we just looked forward. So now we're going to look back a little bit. You know, what would you tell your younger self as you entered your first leadership position? Oh, wow. Um, I think the hardest transition
1: for me was being able to let go of the details and be able to really empower my team to do to take care of the details and spend more time taking care of them i almost felt like in that moment and i and i can think about the exact time i had some pretty junior people that were reporting to me and so i felt very much like i needed to really be in all the weeds with them and i think part of being a leader is letting your team learn and that means that sometimes they have to make mistakes and they also need to have opportunities to fail just like we did i mean how many times can you think of a time where you failed? Like I could, we would need a whole nother podcast for me to just list them off, right? Um, So I think just creating those environments where it's safe to fail, um, that you're, you know, you ensure that it's, you know, something that is normal and that you can celebrate those things when they happen. And then you can help them learn from them and really be supporting the team and empowering them to do what they do best. Um, Instead of feeling like I needed to, you know, be a leader, but also know all of the things that they were doing in every detail. I think that's a very natural trap. And so I would have encouraged myself to, you know, to, to let go of some of that and to release it and to let them, you know, really learn themselves. Um, so that, that's what I would tell myself in that moment. Um, but I do think that as women, we often feel like we don't have the opportunity to fail and that we're judged a lot more critically. And I think history suggests that that is true. Um, and so I think we need to release that for ourselves and give ourselves permission to not have to work twice as hard. Um, but thats I think that's, that's true for many of us. We, we just held ourselves up to that pressure because we felt like we had to. Um, and I would tell myself to let that pressure go.
0: Yes, that was the advice I needed to hear today. This is why I love it <laughs> talking with people because every time I talk an interview with a guest, I learn something and I was like, "Oh, that was exactly what I needed to hear today to let that pressure go." And it also goes back to your first point of sharing your story of like we need people to believe in us, right? I think mm-hmm. part of like having that environment to take risk is creating that safe place where you feel supported, where you feel belonging. And mm-hmm. then it allows you to take those risks and not feel the pressure to throw it all on your back and carry the whole team up the hill. Cause that's not what it's about. So I think that's great that's advice. Right. Um, just the last question you chatted, you t- shared a little bit about, you know, some of the struggles women face in leadership, but what do you think organizations and just society can do as a whole to better support women in these positions or helping them move into these positions?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it's a complicated issue. And I I think many times we're thinking about it too late. Um, And what I mean by that is we have to help our, our kids, our younger generation, those in, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school um, really see themselves in, in these types of roles. And part of that is, being out there. And that's why I love doing podcasts and talks that are especially educationally focused, because my hope is that there's some, some young girl or some early career professional that sees like, oh my gosh, like there's another woman that had a similar struggle to me and she's doing it. So then I feel like I can do it too, because we know representation matters and so part of what we all need to do is be out there, be visible, not just be working internally on our work, but also be external and, um, really encouraging others. So being in a school, like uh, a couple of years ago, I led a girls who code club at my daughter, one of my daughter's schools and was just so, I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to be so over my head on this. Like, when is the last time I personally wrote a line of code? Like, I don't even actually want to answer that question. It's been a long time. Um, but it was so easy to do like girls who code as an organization just provided everything that you need. And so, you know, facilitating it and learning from these girls and just being a part of it, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I used, you know, a lot of my VTO time to be able to enable that to happen. It was like once a week, it was an hour, it was virtual because it was during the pandemic. Um, but it was, it was easy and it was a way for me to show, a whole group of girls that they can be computer scientists, you know, and they were fifth graders. You know, it was very, you know, practical and helped them feel empowered. And they did some really amazing projects in that in that process. So, I think that is part of the focus: is we have to be able to do things for younger kids so that they they believe that they can be in the STEM space early we know in like there's a whole bunch of statistics and studies that girls especially opt out of careers that they don't believe that they're in at a very young age. And so if we're waiting until high school or college to tell them like, hey, you can be a computer scientist or you can be an engineer too, it's often too late. And so getting to them young I think is really important. And then once you have women in your team, so fast forwarding to like early career stage women I think we have to make sure that we are empowering them to speak up, making sure that they are speaking their mind in meetings that they're able to contribute their solutions. It's those like almost microaggression things about like making sure they're not getting interrupted. If they offer a solution and nobody responds like, Hey, can you say more about that? You know, just simple things to help them feel empowered to speak up, to propose their idea, to share their work. Um, that often leads to more consideration for things like promotions and advancement. Um, And I think that is everyone's job, but just really helping um, in these seemingly small ways has such a compounding effect in having more women in the field and also more women in positions of leadership. So, uh, you know, there's a relatively minor activities, probably not very time consuming, but just behaviors that we can all exhibit to help create more women in leadership positions, in data.
0: I love it, yes, it reminds me of the quote that you can't be what you can't see. So we need yes. more people out there being those examples so the next generation can see that and, and follow along in suit. So thank you for being one of those people who is providing us such a great example of what that looks like. Um, you are not somebody who just talks about it, who, but also lives by the work and practices it as well. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're ready, I think we can move into the rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. ready. Okay. What song do you currently have on repeat? Um, currently
1: have a uh, crowded table by the high women on repeat. We're in the process of adopting three kids. And so that's been sort of playing through my mind um, a lot over the last uh, few months, really. But um, every time I need a little pick me up, that song comes
0: up for me. Favorite place you have traveled?
1: Uh, Greece. Happiness is um, being around family.
0: And it sounds like your family is getting bigger, so a lot more happiness to follow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I have six kids, so it has been uh, a whirlwind. But yes, I just I love being able to be remote, be home um, with my family. So we spend a lot of time together which is awesome. That brings me a lot of joy.
0: In the next five years, I hope to
1: Mm, uh, find new ways to implement data into um, companies, like not just in a data organization, but just really embed that into just general business. We talked a little bit about the literacy and I just love to see um, organizations really use data as if it's just, you know, as simple as breathing air. And then last
0: but not least, to me, curiosity is? Mm, Always being willing to learn new things. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a pleasure. I know I learned a lot from this conversation and our audience will as well. What's the best way for people to stay connected with you?
1: Oh, um, I try to be pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, I am very passionate about things around equality in the workplace. Um, we talked a lot about women in data, of course, um, but that's something that I'm pretty passionate about. So I primarily am hanging out on LinkedIn. Um, I do have a Twitter account, but mostly um, that's a great place to stay connected is, is on LinkedIn.
0: Wonderful. We'll be sure to add your link in the show notes. And thank you so much again for coming on the show. It's such a pleasure.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It was delightful. I really enjoyed it.
0: All right. Well, stay curious and keep learning everyone. And we will chat with you next time. Bye. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.